Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Solar Edge conference call for the third quarter ended September 30th, 2020. This call is being webcast live on the company's website at www.solaredge.com in the investor section on the event calendar page. This call is the sole property incorporated Solar Edge with all rights reserved and any recording, reproduction, or transmission of this call without the express written consent of Solar Edge is prohibited. You may listen to a webcast replay of this call by visiting the event calendar page of the Solar Edge Investor website. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Michael Finari at Sapphire Investor Relations, Investor Relations for Solar Edge. Please go ahead, sir. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us to discuss SolarEdge's operating results for the third quarter ended September 30th, 2020, as well as the company's outlook for the fourth quarter of 2020. With me today are C.V. Lando, Chief Executive Officer, and Merlin Fire, Chief Financial Officer. C.V. will begin with a brief review of the results for the third quarter ended September 30th, 2020. Ronan will review the financial results for the third quarter, followed by the company's outlook for the fourth quarter of 2020. We will then open the call for questions. Please note that this call will include forward-looking statements that involve risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from management's current expectations. We encourage you to review the safe harbor statement contained in our press release and the slides published today for a more complete description. All material contained in the webcast is the sole property and copyright of SolarEdge Technologies with all rights reserved. Please note, this presentation describes certain non-GAAP measures, including non-GAAP net income and non-GAAP net diluted earnings per share, which are not measures prepared in accordance with U.S. GAAP. The non-GAAP measures are presented in this presentation as we believe they provide investors with a means of evaluating and understanding how the company's management evaluates the company's operating performance. These non-GAAP measures should not be considered in isolation from, as substitutes for, or superior to financial measures prepared in accordance with U.S. GAAP. Listeners who do not have a copy of the quarter ended September 30, 2020 press release or the supplemental material may obtain a copy by visiting the investor section of the company's website. Now I'll turn the call over to you. Thank you, Mike. Good afternoon, and thank you all for joining us on our conference call. I am happy to report that despite the second wave of the global pandemic in Europe, North America, and Israel, our offices in all regions continue to function almost without interruption, and we continue to focus on the health and well-being of our employees while managing the business impact of the rapidly changing conditions and regulations, including lockdowns and travel restrictions. Today, we announced third quarter revenues of $338.1 million, a slight increase quarter over quarter. Revenues for the third quarter in our solar business were approximately $312.5 million, also slightly above previous quarter solar revenues. This quarter, we saw record high solar revenues of $165.6 million in Europe, up from $144.3 million last quarter, due to strength in the Netherlands and Germany which are traditionally strong territories for us, as well as growth in smaller markets such as France, Poland, and Switzerland, all of which experienced record revenues this quarter. We are confident in the continued strength that comes from our local offices and support teams throughout Europe. In North America, while revenues did not increase quarter over quarter, we saw significant quarter over quarter growth 
in both installation rate and sell-through reported by our distributors. In fact, in September, sell-through reported by our distributors was up 22% in residential and more than 40% up in commercial megawatt sold when compared to August and at the level higher than the same month in 2019. As a result, current distributor inventory of our residential products are at a healthy level, and thus we anticipate approximately 50% growth in residential sales in North America in the fourth quarter. The situation in commercials, however, is more complex and similar in Europe and in North America. Initially, there was an expectation that commercial will overcome the pandemic at the fastest pace, and as such, distributors and EPCs increased inventories during the first months of the pandemic. In actuality, commercial installations both in Europe and the U.S. and even in Australia are recovering slower than residential, and inventories in the channel are still high. As for reasons outside of North America and Europe, we see continued strong revenues from Australia, Taiwan, and Japan. On the manufacturing and operational side, overall this quarter we shipped 3.3 million power optimizers and 152,500 inverters. This quarter we began commercial shipments to the U.S. of optimizers and inverters from Sela 1, our new factory in Israel. In addition to providing capacity of non-tariff products, this factory, just an hour drive from an our R&D team and labs, enables us to accelerate new product development cycles, especially during this period when we are limited in travel to other manufacturing sites. Our intent is to define equipment and processes of new developed products in Sela 1 and copy to the various contract manufacturers around the world. By way of example, this quarter, we produced in Sela 1 the first prototype units of the 330 kilowatt inverter planned for introduction in late 2021 and intended to give us access to the mid-sized ground mount and small utility segments. With Sela 1, coupled with the continued ramp of contract manufacturing sites in Vietnam and Hungary, we expect that 60% of U.S. product in Q4 will come from non-tariff regions. In our currently marketed products, we continue to see strong demand for our storage-compatible inverters, with approximately 6,500 energy hub inverters delivered this quarter in the U.S., and over 8,000 more storage-compatible inverters shipped to Europe and Australia. Our current global install base of DC-coupled residential storage systems is about 50,000 systems installed all with third-party batteries. We believe that installers and homeowners appreciate the benefits and maturity that comes with having one fully integrated solution that has proven itself in multi-year scenarios of backup, self-consumption, and that enables grid services. This, of course, leads to the timing of the availability of our own residential battery. While R&D activities continue as planned, the global pandemic and associated travel restrictions have impacted our certification and production target dates, and we expect this will delay the release of our residential battery by several months. 
With the current travel restrictions, our R&D teams are limited in travel to the manufacturing sites and certification labs. While we are still aiming for initial shipments this year, as previously communicated, it is more likely that this will happen only in early 2021, pushing meaningful ramp-up and consequently battery-related revenues to Q2 and Q3 of next year. Additionally, on the product side, as was announced this quarter by Schneider Electric, we are collaborating with them on the development of a solution that will enable our energy hub inverter to seamlessly and easily integrate with Schneider's Square D energy center distribution system. The collaboration is intended to serve market needs of new homes and new home builders, initially in California, where solar is now required on all new home constructions. We are enthusiastic about this collaboration, as this will give us an opportunity to introduce the SolarEdge brand and product to the new home market, which we currently underserve. We also released in our beginning shipment of a three-phase 600-volt residential inverter for Australia. This new product gives us better access to approximately 25% of the Australian residential market. We expect that this will add to the positive momentum we have seen in recent quarters in the residential market in Australia. In the commercial and industrial markets, we continue to ramp production of the new larger capacity commercial inverter we released a couple of quarters ago. In addition, we released a new series of optimizers aimed to accommodate higher power modules of up to 550 watts. The recently accelerated trend of increasing module output is good for reducing the cost per watt of the module and is also favorable to our business, as it enables reduction of the cost per watt of optimization, making the cost gaps to string inverters smaller and driving adoption. This is in line with our strategy to have cost-effective optimizers that are compatible with practically all types of modules available in volume in the market. As a result, we are already seeing design wins in large rooftops and small-scale ground mounts, with EPCs and investors interested in the monitoring and safety capabilities provided by our system who hesitated until now due to the cost gap. While the commercial market has been slow during COVID, as I explained earlier, this segment is expected to see significant growth as the market recovers in 2021. In our grid services offering, we continue to add utility customers to our virtual power plant platform on a quarterly basis in the United States, Europe, and Australia. We also continue to diversify our product offering, including a pilot of frequency-triggered curtailment of commercial sites. This is our first non-residential grid services project. In our non-solar business, we continue to invest heavily in these businesses, which are to become additional pillars of growth for SolarEdge. Our non-solar revenue this quarter was $26 million, up from $22 million in the prior quarter, and we expect, expect this to gradually increase as we approach a significant milestone, as we gear up to manufacture and deliver the first significant batch of full powertrain solutions to a known automotive OEM. For the last six months, tens of electrical vehicles powered by our full powertrain units 
have been accumulating miles and going through an extensive qualification process. In the fourth quarter, we expect to deliver an additional 100 to 200 powertrain kits as mass production is scheduled to begin. As a reminder, a typical powertrain kit includes batteries, inverters, motor, and vehicle control units. While not significant yet in revenues and margins, this is the first meaningful step for us into the e-mobility market and towards materializing the bigger SolarEdge vision to become a global leader in smart, sustainable energy solutions. On that note, I want to refer interested investors to our new sustainability report published this morning and available in the investor section of our website. And with this, I hand it over to Ronen, who will review our financial results. Thank you, TV, and good afternoon, everyone. As always, my review includes a gap and a non-gap discussion. Full reconciliation of the performance-to-gap results discussed in this call is available on our website and in the press release issued today. For the third quarter, total revenues were $338.1 million, a 2% increase compared to $331.9 million last quarter and an 18% decrease compared to $410.6 million for the same quarter last year. Revenues from the sale of solar products were $312.5 million, slightly higher than the $310.1 million last quarter. U.S. solar revenues this quarter were $105.9 million and represented 33.9% of our solar revenues. Solar revenues from Europe reached a record high of $165.6 million, or 53% of our revenues. Revenues generated from outside the United States and Europe this quarter were $41 million, representing 13.1% of our solar revenues this quarter. On a megawatt basis, this quarter we delivered 490 megawatts to the United States, 708 megawatts to Europe, and 254 megawatts to the rest of the world. Residential products represented 49% of our megawatt chip, and commercial products were 51%. This quarter, our top 10 solar customers represented 61% of our solar revenues and included more European customers than last quarter. Two distributors accounted for more than 10% of our quarterly revenues each. Blended ASP per watt of our solar products increased this quarter by approximately 1% compared to the last quarter. This quarter, revenues from our non-solar products were $25.6 million, led by sales of lithium-ion batteries by COCAM and increased sales of e-mobility, automation machines, and products sold by our critical power division. Gap gross margins for the quarter was 32% compared to 31% in the prior quarter and 33.9% in the same quarter last year. Non-gap gross margin this quarter was 33.5% compared to 32.4% in the prior quarter and 35.1% in the same quarter last year. Non-gap gross margins for this solar business was 34.8% compared to 33.8% in the last quarter. This increase is a result of improved exchanges and sales in Europe, coupled with cost reduction activities 
and a reduction in the volume of Chinese-made products that are subject to custom tariffs in the United States in our overall product mix. This quarter, approximately 43% of the products shipped into the United States came from non-tariff production. Cost of goods sold in the solar business included costs related to the ramp of production in our Cell One factory this quarter, and this will continue until the second quarter of 2021, as we continue to increase production volumes. Our normalized inventory levels enable us to eliminate air shipments this quarter. Non-gap gross margin from our non-solar activities was 16.9% compared to 13.5% in the previous quarter. The increase was a result of higher margins in lithium-ion product sales offset by an increased immobility pre-production expenses. As mentioned by CV, our immobility division is preparing for supply of powertrain kits for 100 to 200 electric vehicles in Q4. The powertrain is a highly complicated system that includes several components that are produced in part by contract manufacturers and assembled in our Italian manufacturing facilities. During the last quarters, we have been building manufacturing capacity in Italy that includes an increase in the number of employees and associated expenses that are charged to our cost of goods sold. Given the current small number of units, the complexity of manufacturing, and the start-up phase of this manufacturing process, the immobility sales are characterized with low gross margins. Moving to our operating expenses. In total, GAP operating expenses for the third quarter was $77.7 million, or 23% of revenues, compared to $73 million, or 22% of revenues, in the prior quarter, and to $73.3 million, or 17.9% of revenues, for the same quarter last year. On a non-GAAP basis, operating expenses for the third quarter were $63.2 million, or 18.7% of revenues, compared to $61.1 million, or 18.4% of revenues, in the prior quarter, and $54.8 million, or 13.3% of revenues, for the same quarter last year. As previously reported, at the end of the first quarter, the company took measures to reduce spending in response to the global pandemic. The company continues to remain cautious on OPEX spending while allowing growth in R&D activities, mostly in the non-solar businesses and talent recruitment in the solar R&D organization. The increase in GNA expenses is mainly related to a provision resulting from an IT litigation judgment in China that is under appeal. Our non-GAAP solar operating expenses as percentage of solar revenues were 16.7% compared to 16.2% last quarter. Our GAAP operating income for the quarter was $30.4 million compared to $30 million in the previous quarter and $66 million for the same period last year. Non-GAAP operating income for the quarter was $50 million compared to $46.6 million in the previous quarter and $89.2 million in the same period last year. This quarter, non-solar activities resulted in non-GAAP operating loss of $6.6 million compared to an operating loss of $8 million in the previous quarter as a result of our increased inv investment 
in immobility and critical power activities offset by higher profitability in the battery business. Financial income for the quarter was $15.9 million compared to financial income of $11.6 million in the previous quarter and a financial expense of $17 million for the same period last year. This income is a result of foreign currency changes resulting mostly from unrealized exchange rate fluctuations and the accounting treatment of intercompany balances and intercompany loans provided for the acquisitions in Korea and Italy. Tax expense was $2.4 million this quarter compared to a tax expense of $4.9 million in the prior quarter and $7.3 million for the same period last year. Our non-GAAP tax expense was $1.6 million compared to $8.1 million in the previous quarter and $10.2 million for the same quarter last year, mainly a result of higher deductible expenses related to the exercise of employee stock options and restricted stock units by our employees in Q3 2020. GAAP net income for the third quarter was $43.8 million compared to a GAAP net income of $36.7 million in the previous quarter and $41.6 million in the same quarter last year. Our non-GAAP net income was $65.9 million compared to a non-GAAP net income of $52.1 million in the previous quarter and $63.6 million for the same quarter last year. GAAP net diluted earnings per share was $0.83 cents for the third quarter compared to $0.70 cents in the previous quarter and $0.81 cents for the same quarter last year. Non-GAAP net diluted EPS was $1.21 compared to $0.97 cents in the previous quarter and the same $1.21 in the same quarter last year. Our non-solar businesses generated an $0.18 cents non-GAAP diluted earning per share loss. Turning now to the balance sheet. As of September 30, 2020, cash, cash equivalents, bank deposits, restricted bank deposits, and investments were $1.2 billion, increased significantly as a result of our convertible loan raised at the end of this quarter. Net of debt, cash, cash equivalents, bank deposits, restricted bank deposits, and investments were $553.8 million. During the third quarter of 2020, we generated $28.4 million in cash flow from operations. Accounts receivable net increased nominally this quarter to $183.1 million compared to $181.7 million last quarter. Days sales outstanding this quarter in the solar business was 70 days, a decrease from 73 days last quarter. We continue to see reliable payment patterns from our customers and our credit terms are back in general to the pre-pandemic times. As of September 30, 2020, our inventory level net of reserves was at $297 million compared to $264.5 million in the prior quarter. This increased level of inventory is a result of both higher finished goods inventories of solar products which allows us to be flexible in the delivery schedule to our customers and increase raw materials in the e-mobility division in preparation for the planned Q4 deliveries. 
Moving now to the guidance for the fourth quarter of 2020. We expect revenues for the fourth quarter of 2020 to be within the range of $345 million to $365 million. Revenues from the sale of solar products are expected to be within the range of $320 million and $335 million. We expect non-GAAP gross margins to be within the range of 32 to 34%. Non-GAAP gross margins for the solar activities is expected to be within the range of 34 to 36%. I will now turn the call to the, over to the operator to open it up for questions. Operator, please. Thank you. At this time, if you do have a question, that will be star one. We do ask that you please limit yourself to one question with one follow-up. Again, star one for questions. We'll hear first today from Mark Strauss with J.P. Morgan. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much for taking our questions. Um, just wanted to, to dig in on your comments around uh, C&I uncertainty. Um, uh, can you kind of I'll kind of reconcile that with the, the comments uh, I think you made about greater than 40% sell-through from your distributors in CNI. Um, first of all, was that just a U.S. number? Was that a global number? Um, and then kind of, you know, help, help me think those two things up with, you know, what you're, what you're hearing from your distributors and, you know, kind of the, the commentary about that recovery being slower than uh, Resi. Thanks. So, so, indeed, September was the first month of a significant increase in the sell-through of uh, commercial products through our distributors in, in North America. And it's a positive sign after several months where um, installation rates and sell-through were fairly uh, consistent and, and uh, not very high. Uh, so it's a positive indicator. At the same time, for the reasons that I explained, the inventory level, the inventory level is still high. So we believe that it will take a few more months of um, sell-through at that rate uh, until uh, significant new uh, uh, new sales will uh, from us to the distributors will resume. So that's why we think that 2021. Um, we will see a growth in the market and growth of sales as the uh, inventories decline, but the fourth quarter will still be quite low in terms of uh, commercial sales. Okay, thanks. And then uh, just kind of general news around uh, you know, certain lockdowns in certain countries internationally. Um, just curious if that is starting to impact your business at all. So, so this is uh, in line with the same message. So we saw also during the first round of lockdowns in most of the world that residential continued um, almost without interruption. And as we were reporting throughout the uh, first phase of the, um, of the pandemic, Europe was installing in, uh, during the lockdowns of early 2020 still at a higher rate than residential installation in 2019. Um, so as far as we can tell, and all of the signs that we're seeing now, is that this will be uh, the behavior also during this round of uh, of lockdowns, also in uh, also in Europe uh, and also in Australia and other countries. Um, at the same time, um, residential is um, it, so residential is continuing and and uh, no signs of slowdown. Commercial 
we believe that the recovery will continue to be at a slower pace uh, than residential, although the uh, commercial installations are increasing as well in the U.S., as I mentioned before, and also uh, in also in Europe. Um, as I said, the, the bigger, I, I would say, constraints for us around the lockdowns is the ability to move our people around, um, and that is definitely impacted and will probably be a couple of more months at least until that begins to ease. Colin Rush with Oppenheimer. Um, thanks so much. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on from Nick's perspective that's driving the, the guideline gross margins? Um, you know, what are you seeing that's, that's enabling that growth here quarter reporting? So um, it's a combination. First of all, we do see that there, there are changes uh, in the mix of sales uh, uh, during the um, during the, the move from Q3 to Q4, uh, on one hand we do see a uh, decline in the sales that are going to Europe. This is following the uh, seasonal effects that we usually see in the fourth and the first quarter in Europe. And at the same time, as Stevie mentioned, we see close to 50% increase in the residential sales in the United States uh, um, due to the higher sell through that we see from uh, vendors. This is actually um, what, what is helping the gross margins. In general, uh, U.S. sales, especially resi, are characterized with uh, higher gross margins, and the fact that we're selling more resi into the United States uh, is, is helping the margins. By the way, the gap is not as big as it was in, you know, when we moved from Q1 to Q2, because at that time the euro was uh, lower by about almost 10%, and therefore you know, we lost a little bit more. So now the difference is a little bit smaller. So the first thing that happens is this one. The second issue is uh, that we continue uh, to do, at the same time, cost reductions. Cost reductions are now are realized to the uh, P&L a little bit slower, given the higher inventory levels that we have, uh, but they still uh, are materialized over time. So I think that these two effects combined together are helping the growth in the uh, solar gross margins. As you, as you saw in our guidance, actually the guidance for the non-solar uh, or to the overall uh, uh, remains the same despite the growth in the solar, and this is reflecting the increased volumes of sales that we're going to do in immobility. These are sales that are characterized with lower gross margins and therefore uh, uh, dilute, so to say, the increase in gross margin of the solar business uh, when it comes to the consolidated numbers. That's super helpful, guys. Thank you. Um, and then just on the powertrain business, um, you know, shipping these kits out, can you give us a sense of how many customers you're working with and, and who they are and how far along they are in their development process? Obviously, that, that can be a slow emerging market, but a, a fairly sticky one, but trying to get a sense of, you know, how deep you're into that market at this point. Yeah, we're, we're, the, the, we're working with one significant size customer and one significant size project that is uh, very close to start of production. Uh, we're working with other customers, but at a much, much earlier phase of the uh, cycle. Okay. I'll, I'll take the rest of it off. Thanks, guys. Next up, we have Jeff Tumahit-Manboy with Credit Suisse. 
Hey, um, thanks for taking your questions. Uh, uh, just on the commercial residential mix, uh, could you just talk about like how uh, looking at the growth of the 50% I think you said for uh, uh, from Q3 to Q4 for residential? Does that imply um, U.S. residential shipments are flat year over year? Um, and also just wanted to see how should we think about that mix going forward? Do we still go back to that 60-40? Um, this range we saw uh, historically for Q4 and next year. Yeah, the, the um, in, in our the, the big difference between last year to this year in the fourth quarter of safe harbor. Um, so there is no uh, there are no safe harbor assumed shipments in our Q4 residential North America uh, revenue. So it is uh, it is significantly down from uh, the same period of last year, um, partially because of safe harbor and partially it's still at a lower rate um, than, uh, than uh, 2019. Got it. Uh, and uh, just high level on uh, the battery product launch, which you said was uh, delayed for a few months here. Uh, but beyond that, uh, could you confirm if that would be a DC coupled solution and um, if you have any plans for an easy coupled or how do you think about uh, this retrofit opportunity where uh, most of the customers so far have been uh, uh, opting for an easy coupled solution? So, so as, as I mentioned, uh, we, we have uh, approximately 50,000 systems that are installed that are uh, DC coupled solutions uh, with uh, third-party batteries, typically LG Chem or originally uh, Tesla uh, batteries. Obviously, the, the, we, we believe, and this number of 50,000 is quite significant, I believe, compared to any other um, storage, residential storage system. Uh, DC coupled has a lot of advantages. It, it allows for oversizing and uh, of the uh, PV and of the modules and harvesting all of that energy during the period of a uh, of a blackout uh, and extending the time that uh, that you, you are resilient to the absence of power. So, uh, and it's more efficient because it uh, it reduces the number of conversions back and forth from DC to AC. So. Um, so, so we believe, and, and as I said, many customers adopted the idea that the DC coupled system is uh, is better. Now we still have many systems on top of these 50,000 that are installed in an AC coupled uh, uh, configuration. Um, our battery will be primarily DC coupled because that's the right way to do it. But it's not that there's any technical reason why it won't be able to be AC coupled. Capital Partners. We'll hear next from Philip Shin. Hey guys, uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, you know, in terms of the solar outlook, uh, it was uh, much weaker than we were looking for uh, for Q4. Um, and I know you talked about strength in Europe and also in the U.S. rising market. Was wondering if you could talk through, you know, uh, what you expect um, uh, or the reasons for that, that potential weakness. And then as you look into 2021, I know uh, you haven't given guidance and don't plan on it, but can you talk through how you expect the solar uh, revenues possibly to uh, tra um, the trend uh, next year? Thanks. 
So I think in, in, in summary, and it's what we um, try to explain in the in the comments, there are two factors that are the, that are um, I would say below expectations or or shifting the Q4 down. One is the typical seasonality in Europe. So Europe has been excellent for us this year. It's been excellent for us in Q3. It is still going to be pretty good in Q4, but it's going to be down from Q3 as it is uh, practically every year. Uh, the second challenging element is uh, commercial. Um, so commercial uh, revenue for us has been uh, declining um, for the last couple of quarters, and it's not going to pick up in Q4. Those are, those are um, you know, below expectations, if you will. And the positive is on the residential North America, where we're expecting uh, significant growth uh, from Q3 to Q4. Um, as uh, inventory levels are down and installation rates are uh, significantly up uh, than they were uh, earlier uh, earlier in the year, and and they're coming close to those of the same period of last year. Great, Vivian. And then in terms of 21. So it's, it's obviously it's uh, very early to say. Um, uh, as you look at all of the uh, question marks around the pandemic, uh, et cetera, we, we, we believe that the same strengths that worked for us during the challenging times of 2020 in terms of our geographical spread and our product diversification um, will put us in a, uh, in a good position for 2021. Now, if the market is recovering um, across the board, uh, then, uh, meaning in geographies in all segments, then we will be in a great situation because we are, uh, for the most part, uh, from a market share position, as far as we can tell, uh, if anything, in a better position in every, in most, uh, countries and most segments than we were, uh, a year ago. And from a segment coverage point of view, we are covering more segments with the larger inverters, uh, enabling us to cover bigger parts of the commercial market. Uh, you know, some of the residential additional offerings that we added, like in Australia, like uh, the Schneider Corporation that gives us access to the new home market, which we previously were very weak or practically non-existent in. Um, so putting those together, we're, we're um, um, as to what is in our control, we feel uh, very optimistic about 2021 in terms of our share position in the geographies and the offerings that, that we have. Um, and, uh, and again, in, in early or some point in 2021, also the uh, battery um, revenue will start kicking in. Uh, the question mark on uh, the dynamics of the market and how uh, all kinds of external factors will uh, affect that, that, that's out of our control, and it's difficult for me to try and predict uh, any better than what is publicly published. We'll hear next from Jim Rashuti with Needham & Company. Hi. Um, that uh, commercial and uh, C&I business, is that more concentrated um, in the U.S.? No, actually, our C&I business is very strong in Europe. Um, it's very strong in Australia. Um, and our C&I business in the U.S. is, um, is uh, smaller compared to those, uh, but it's still a significant uh, business and a significant opportunity. 
when you talk about um, seeing some some positive signs um, in the month of September business in the U.S., what are you seeing in some of the other geographies, which clearly are more important right now, at least? So, so I, I, I mentioned the, the, the CNI market in 2020 in uh, Australia and Europe will be down compared to 2019, while the residential market in both of these uh, regions will be up compared to, uh, to 2019. I, I don't have the ratio on top of my head, but uh, uh, but the markets are probably in the range of 10 to 15% down maybe. And, and again, I don't, I, I don't remember the number, uh, the number exactly. So um, that's, uh, that's, that's roughly the, uh, the, the, uh, the scene in that regard. Okay. Well, fair enough. I just one, uh, you may have given some, some color on OPEX and I may have just missed it, but I'm just wondering, um, how we, we should be thinking about OPEX, just, uh, you know, particularly with, with some of the R&D levels moving up a little higher. How should we be thinking about that, Ron, for, for the current quarter? Well, in general, it should be, uh, very close to, uh, um, in Q4 compared to what you see in Q3 with a little, a little bit of an uptick. Um, as we mentioned before, um, first of all, in the non-solar businesses, these are businesses that we are developing and we are in an investment mode. So that means that we are increasing R&D, we are increasing uh, sales and marketing activities, and, and we are trying to approach uh, more customers in newer markets. Uh, when it comes to the solar business, here, the, first of all, the business is a little bit more mature, and therefore no major additions is, are, are needed in most cases. In the R&D, though, we are uh, uh, using the opportunity that we see talent now uh, in the uh, market due to some layoffs that, that we saw uh, from other companies, and we now have opportunities to bring people that maybe prior to COVID we were not able to do it. So in, in general, it's controlled. R&D can grow. Uh, um, sales and marketing remain relatively similar. And GNA today, most of the changes that you see are related to I would call it external factors that are not within our control. May it be the uh, judgment that, that we had in Q3 uh, that we needed to approve for uh, um, more extensive insurances, but not something that we can control as a company. We'll hear next from Brian Lee with Goldman Sachs. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the questions. Um, I guess first off on the uh, – the CNI market in Europe. Um, can you give us a bit of quantification around sort of where inventory levels uh, peaked on a week's basis and where they are, you know, today, and kind of how you see them trending going forward? And then, you know, with the inventory situation, are you seeing pricing getting a bit more uh, competitive in that space? Just given that's always been an area where you've had more, um, you know, more suppliers you're competing against in general. And then I had a follow up. Um, so, so trying to pull out the exact um, the exact data. So, well, just to to give a feel for it, while inventory levels um, in Europe for residential products are in the seven week range, um, for commercial products the inventory levels are are about one and a half um, about one and a half quarters. So about uh, 14, 15 
week. So, so that's the end. Of, that's roughly the inventory level for PNI versus residential um, uh, versus residential in Europe. Um, the second part of um, of the question. Just remind me, Brian. Mm -hmm. Just around around pricing trends. Just given the inventory, if you're if you're seeing some of your peers being more competitive or aggressive on the pricing side. Yeah, so, so in, in CNI in particular in Europe, um, the price uh, difference between uh, our um, selling price is, uh, is practically the only MLPE for, for CNI globally and in particular in, in Europe are, are quite significantly higher than uh, the standard string inverter pricing in, uh, uh, in the region. So the, 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 the gap is so big that it is not the, the small fluctuations in price don't really impact uh, market, share, market share and such. It's just uh, the, uh, the execution of the project is being delayed and the, those that uh, chose to do their project with, uh, with an MLP solution or with our solution, as long as the project is delayed, they're not pulling the product out of the uh, distributors and the distributors are not uh, re replenishing. And that's uh, uh, what we expect will gradually uh, resume and projects will get back to being uh, constructed at a higher pace. But right now, companies are, are moving slower on these types of uh, investment decisions. Okay, fair enough. And then just a second question, Ronan, you mentioned the margins. Um, historically, I think you had talked about a four to 500 basis point delta between U.S. Resi and um, you know, Europe CNI, for example. And so uh, today it sounds like it's compressed. Can you give us a sense of where it is today? And then um, just in that context, I, I thought the margin guidance for Q4 maybe would have been better given the 50%, you know, you, you know I'm sorry, quarter-on-quarter quarter, quarter growth for your best margin uh, and market, the U.S. Resi. So um, maybe if you could just provide a little bit of color around all those moving pieces and um, maybe why margins aren't, aren't moving a bit higher in the guidance for Q4. Thank you. Sure. So uh, it's, it's a combination of several things. First of all, um, if I would say that it was close to 400 basis, basis points before, I would assume that today it's closer to 200 basis points uh, due to the uh, euro strengthening against the U.S. dollar. Uh, but um, there are many moving parts that are coming, especially right now at this uh, point of time when we're talking about uh, uh, margins when it comes to the United States. First of all, uh, our products going into the United States, of course, from uh, areas with tariff are uh, holding uh, higher costs, and actually the non-tariff countries are still um, um, on a like-to-like -like basis more expensive than uh, the um, uh, than the tariff uh, uh, manufacturing that we have in China, and therefore specifically on those products we see today as the business ramps up uh, a, a little bit of a lower margins than the usual. You add to this the fact that um, some part of the sales that we're going to do into the United States are coming now from our Stella One factory in Israel. This is still going into a ramp-up phase. That means that you do not have even um, straight two shifts a day. This is a, a, a factory that will go up to three shifts uh, towards the uh, second uh, uh, quarter of 2020. And that means that, again, that a little bit more costs are now built into those specific products. So the, the, the reason for the 
um, I would turn lower growth in the margin when we go into more sales in the United States. It's first of all, the compression of the difference between the euro and the, uh, the, the sales in Europe and, and, and uh, the U.S. due to euro. And second is because of the cost elements that are added today on a U.S. product, uh, um, more than we have them, the, 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 these cost elements on the non-U.S. Uh, products. And again, for questions, that is star one at this time. We'll hear next from Joseph Osha with J&P Securities. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, two, two questions. First, I'd like to return to e-mobility. We, we've heard about how that, that business is margin diluted for, for the near term. I'm trying to understand what a success case looks like. Um, does this business eventually get to the point where it is at, you know, the, the level that the rest of the business is at? And, and roughly what sort of scale uh, would you need out of e-mobility to get to that level? And then I do have a follow-up. So first, it's important that this is a long-term uh, move. Uh, so it, it, obviously, the potential of this market uh, is is huge. And as we explained also on the analyst day, we believe that it falls well within uh, our strength uh, as a company in technology and, uh, and manufacturing technology. Um, so potentially, uh, the, the scale is, is much more significant than the scale of the uh, PV industry, but but that is uh, that is years um, uh, um, uh, years away. For us, uh, when we're looking at what is success now, it is moving from uh, production of uh, tens of uh, uh, to hundreds, which is a move that we're beginning to do in this quarter, and moving to the thousands of uh, of units uh, in the next uh, six to twelve uh, to twelve months and. Uh, and beyond and improving uh, margin and profitability as we go along. What, what we're selling today were products that were qualified before we acquired uh, the company that we acquired, and as a result, our ability to optimize and cost reduce is, uh, is limited in the way that the automotive industry uh, operates. So it is something that has uh, tremendous uh, potential, but it is, uh, it is a long path until that uh, will materialize uh, for sure in terms of profitability, while uh, top line, we believe that there's potential to begin to see uh, benefits already in a, on a shorter scale than um, within 6 to 12 months. Okay, that, I guess that's clear, but you know, we heard for the first time this quarter, um, you did mention when you talked about the fourth quarter that e-mobility was big enough that it was beginning to sort of, you know, blip into the overall calculation for the financial model. And then I, I hear you talking about going from, you know, tens of units to hundreds of units to thousands of units. So this, this is going to become highly relevant, say, 12 months from now. So is, is there any way you can kind of help us put some brackets around uh, what this is going to mean for, for what the financial model looks like, understanding that it's still really days? Yeah, I think it's still early for, for, for us to give that in a more in a specific uh, number frame. We're, we're, I think the positive for us in this regard is that we're coming closer to that point uh, in terms of where we solidify some um, short to midterm contracts that allow us to uh, to give you the information that allows you to fit it into the model for the next uh, 12, 12 to 24. Uh, 24 months. At, at uh, this point, it's still in the um, in the range of a uh, handful of million dollars a quarter, 
uh, which doesn't really impact the um, the model of the company. Mm -hmm. We'll hear next from Jeff Osborne with Catlin and Company. Hey, good afternoon. Most of, them have, uh, most of my questions have been asked, but I just wanted to follow up on two things. One, uh, if I heard ZV right, he mentioned the 330-kilowatt utility-scale inverter. Is that now targeted for late 21? Uh, I was thinking that that was coming out either later this year or earlier next year, but maybe I'm mistaken on the timing. Uh, in terms of um, – especially because we intend – uh, to do uh, longer outline data testing for this type of product, which is our first um, real endeavor into medium voltage type installations in utility scale. So, um, we're, we're, as, we, as I mentioned, we began to produce prototypes. We'll be moving into alphas uh, in the earlier uh, part of the year, but um, but real um, uh, volume shipments and uh, it will be only in the late part of 2021. And is that just to, to be clear? Is that in time with or in line with the timing that you were thinking a year ago, or no? Roughly, yes. Yeah. Got it. And then maybe just one comment that Ronan had on the storage side. Can you just uh, crystallize what exactly the certifications or delays that you're referencing? as it relates to COVID, is that the qualification of third-party cells and the integration into new packs, or is it some type of safety test? It was just unclear what, what exactly you were referencing that's leading to the few-month delay. Uh, no, of course, the, the battery, the full battery system level uh, certifications, both in Europe and in the U.S., uh, that, uh, that we have batteries uh, in route to the lab, um, and, um, and usually in this type of condition, we would want to have people there so that any type of uh, debugging and corrective action is aligned on the spot. That cycle is going to be longer under these circumstances. And similarly, production, we began producing uh, initial units in the factory in Hungary. And again, without uh, our R&D people present on the line, um, it is becoming uh, – all of these cycles are taking longer. It's all at the full battery level. It's not at the cell or at the pack level. It's at the battery level. We'll hear next from Marshall Cooper with Heikman Energy Advisors. Yes, I, you, I think you somewhat addressed this with the last question, but it, the so the longer – I would imagine at this point the longer term – battery targets, such as the $300 million a year in 2022, those are now pushed back at least a couple of quarters as well? No, actually, no. Uh, the numbers that we gave, the $300 million targets for 2022 is related to batteries that would be based on sales coming from our uh, two-gigawatt factory in Kokam in Korea. The battery that we are now um, uh, testing and shipping to the U.S. is our uh, third-generation battery that is based on third-party cells. And therefore, the uh, um, delay in this one is uh, not necessarily implying to the delay, to a possible delay on the battery coming from the Cochrane factory. Okay, very helpful. Thank you. And, and you gave the commercial inventory levels at um, 14 to 16 weeks was that in Europe or for the total company, and could you give a similar number for the residential inventory levels? So, so that was for Europe, and at the company level, it's, it's quite, quite
quite similar. It's in that range of uh, around a couple of quarters. And um, residential also company level it varies a little bit between countries, but it's in the seven, uh, eight uh, weeks uh, in that type of range. And at this time, I'd like to turn things back to C.D. Lando for any closing remarks. Uh, just thank everyone for, for joining us on the call, and uh, just wish, wish everybody to stay safe, and, uh, and thank you. And that will conclude today's conference. Again, thank you all for joining us.